I kind of tend to shove a crutch in the door and pry it open when it comes to any of these conversations. And a lot of racial and social justice movements are incredibly inaccessible. And that's usually my first question to a lot of the leadership is asking them like, hey, what are some of the accessible options that you all are providing for people with disabilities? This is MCV Cast. I'm Aaron Murphy, Executive Director of Montana Conservation Voters. And that was Vasu Sojitra of Bozeman, a pioneer in mountaineering, a professional ninja, and a social justice activist, one of the founding coordinators of Earth Tone Outside. We'll hear more from Vasu in just a few minutes. We have a big fat show this week. Deputy Director Whitney Tani is here, and so is Political Director Jake Brown. It's nice to take a little breather with you guys because we've been rattling the cage. We sure have. Remember, MCV took to Montana's TV airwaves with a hard-hitting ad questioning William Perry Penley and Senator Daines' apparent support of him. Mr. Penley is the embattled acting director of the Bureau of Land Management, and he is so controversial for wanting to sell off our public lands that the White House pulled his nomination over the weekend. But that is hardly a win for conservation, because on Monday, the Bureau of Land Management confirmed that Mr. Penley, quote, will remain in his current post and will continue exercising the authority of BLM director. In other words, the Bureau of Land Management nominee, who is so bad for conservation that he cannot face a Senate hearing under oath, is still calling the shots. And he is in charge of a quarter billion acres of our public lands across the country. So on Monday, we fired off a feisty letter to Montana's congressional delegation. Notably, Senator John Tester came out forcefully against Mr. Penley over the weekend. But Senator Daines and Congressman Greg Gianforte, they haven't said much. Your silence on Mr. Penley's opposition, which signals your support of his anti-public lands record, is a deafening disservice to MCV's members, your constituents, and our shared outdoor heritage, we wrote to Danes and Gianforte. We went on to say, if you still consider yourselves conservationists, then we call on you to demand President Trump fire Mr. Penley from his position as acting director of the BLM immediately. We encourage you to check out our letter in the show notes. It's also made quite a splash in national news this week, but better yet, check out our website, stoppenley.org, to sign a petition to Senator Danes to make your voice heard. Governor Steve Bullock is making his voice heard, too. The U.S. Senate candidate challenging Senator Danes went up with his own TV ad on Wednesday about William Perry Penley and his anti-public lands record. Beautiful Montana, the treasure state. While we treasure this, William Perry Penley and Steve Danes treasure this. Penley has spent his career working with out-of-state interests that want to sell off our public lands. And Danes, he supported Penley's nomination to head the Bureau of Land Management, threatening the sale of our lands to the highest bidder. Jake Brown, Governor Bullock isn't mincing words. MCV isn't mincing words. But the Trump administration is a different story. It cannot seem to get its story straight about the mess of the U.S. Postal Service and how it could affect voting here in Montana and across the country. That's right, Murph. This is uh, such a crazy story. The U.S. Postmaster General, Louis DeJoy, recently announced some heinous changes that are geared towards crippling the Postal Service and making our elections more difficult to conduct by mail. The USPS announced the removal of the blue collection boxes all over Montana, and many post offices are even losing their sorting machines. Both moves that are going to make it more difficult to send and receive mail. In a recent interview, President Trump said that these changes to the Postal Service were in part because he wanted to make it harder for Democrats to get elected. 
these changes and others have put DeJoy in the spotlight, with Montana's entire federal delegation weighing in. Even Congressman Gianforte gave a rare interview with conservative radio station KGVO in Missoula this week. We have this new postmaster general, Louis DeJoy, and he's a logistics expert, and he's making decisions about how to make the post office more efficient. After the initial uproar about the disruptions to our mail service, DeJoy announced that these changes would be halted until after the election. Senator Tester has continued to sound the alarm, sending a letter that said that the USPS had still continued to remove sorting machines from several locations around Montana, questioning DeJoy's announcement that no changes would happen until after the election. This issue continues to change daily and will continue to keep you up to date. Two big developments this week regarding the November 3rd ballot. The Montana Supreme Court on Wednesday upheld Judge James Reynolds' August 7th decision to remove the Green Party candidates from the ballot. Earlier this year, the Montana Republican Party spent $100,000 to qualify the Green Party and to put up questionable Green Party candidates in an effort to siphon votes away from Democratic candidates. And late last week, the Montana Secretary of State formally approved two ballot initiatives needed to legalize and tax the adult use of recreational marijuana. MCV supports this effort because that tax revenue will fund public lands in Montana. But Whitney Tani, there was some more discouraging news this week from the Montana Department of Environmental Quality. Despite strong opposition from the conservation community, the Montana Department of Environmental Quality issued its final hard rock mining permit for the Black Butte Copper Mine Project. The project will be located 15 miles north of White Silver Springs and east of the iconic Smith River, the only permitted river in the state due to its popularity. Opponents of the project may challenge the decision in court, citing that DEQ failed to look at the cumulative data and how this mine may affect tributaries of the Smith River. At this time, Phase 1 is the only approved work that can be conducted without further action by DEQ. Phase 1 activities include building and improving roads, staging for construction, creating temporary waste rock storage, and building a brine contact water pond impoundment. In order to proceed into any phase two development or mining phase activities, there must be more review and approval by DEQ to adhere to requirements for the final permit. The Trump administration has announced plans to open up the open Arctic refuge to oil and gas drilling. For over six decades, this incredible wilderness has been protected, and this move sets the stage for an epic legal battle with many environmental groups expected to intervene. Secretary of the Interior David Bernhardt said that there could be a lease sale by the end of the year. This comes at a time when oil prices are way down and the rest of the world moves away from fossil fuel dependence. Drilling will be difficult, expensive, and at a time when we have an incredible excess of oil in the market, but the Trump administration is still desperate for a win. The U.S. Census Bureau is shortening its response deadline by a month, which experts fear will result in a historic undercount of Montana's tribal communities. The undercount will devastate tribal program funding for the next decade and have long-lasting impacts. Governor Bullock and Lieutenant Governor Mike Cooney, as well as Senator Tester, immediately responded and said shortening the deadline, especially during a global pandemic, is simply irresponsible. In Montana, Native communities are already severely undercounted. As of Monday, the self-response rate, which measures people who responded to the 2020 census online, by mail, or by phone in Montana, was 57%, which is about 6% lower than the national average. 
Montana was ranked 46 for our self-response rate, lagging significantly behind other states in the U.S. Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks has announced plans that would establish a 106-acre state park in summers along Flathead Lake's North Shore. The state will purchase the property from the Slider family. Andrea Gouge, the CFO of Slider's Lumber and Building Supply, told Montana Public Radio that the public has been using the property more frequently in recent years. And it is absolutely time for this property to move into the hands of a governmental agency who can manage access and use and amenities in an appropriate way. Gouge says that her family has been looking for a public buyer since the 90s, so we're thankful for them making this happen. Thanks, Jake. This week, Whitney and I had the pleasure of meeting one of Montana's most prominent movers and shakers in the conservation and social justice movements. As our nation continues to wrestle with justice and equity for all, our guest today is blazing new trails in more ways than one. Our guest today is Vasu Sojitra, a Bozeman resident who has no problem shredding whatever the definition of normal is. Vasu lost his right leg due to an early childhood blood infection, but it hasn't slowed him down. Today, Vasu is a professional climber and skier, the first adaptive athlete sponsored by the North Face. His accomplishments could take up their own podcast, so we'll just list a few of them here. Vasu Sojitra is the first adaptive athlete to climb independently Montana's tallest mountain, Granite Peak and Grand Teton in Wyoming, and the first to climb and then ski down multiple peaks in the Beartooth and Bridger Mountains. In 2017, Vasu was the first adaptive skier to complete a 720-degree spin, and he's the subject of a film, Out on a Limb, produced in 2015. There's a lot more to Vasu's work, and we're excited to get into it. Vasu, it's an honor to have you on MCVCast. It's an honor to be part of this. Thank you for inviting me. So we love your motto of ninja sticking through the woods to bring intersectionality to the outdoors. How did you come up with this motto and how do you define your work? Um, So this has many layers to it. And the word ninja sticking to me um, came into my life when I was actually summiting the Grand Teton, my guide, my gardener was watching me use my crutches, my forearm crutches, um, precariously on a, I want to say three foot wide ledge with a 2000 foot drop off on the right side. Um, I would say not handicap accessible whatsoever. And um, he came up with this term that I was ninja sticking through the mountains Um, just because of how I was using them, like how quickly I was able to adjust and um, just having that coordination with forearm crutches. And uh, I kind of latched onto that because it was such a cool reframing of medical equipment. Usually the stigma around medical equipment is, you know, it's, um, there's a lot of pity that comes with disability and a lot of negative stigma that comes with it as well. So, you know, having this more playful, more energetic, dynamic term to what I was doing and what I am doing um, reframed a lot of my mission in life to bring light the positivity that comes with having a disability. Um, so that that was the cool part of the ninja sticking. And as I started developing a little bit more understanding around power, privilege, control, systems of oppression, um, 
whatever, whatever it may be around race, ableism, um, sexuality, gender, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, etc. Um, I started learning about intersectionality and started connecting with a lot more folks that are at activists and advocates within the outdoor industry um, when it comes to trying to provide opportunities and resources to marginalized identities and people of the global majority. Um, so we, I decided to slowly make my motto. It was first ninja sticking through the woods. Um, and then I added on ninja sticking through the woods to bring intersectionality to the outdoors. Um, just morphing it into something that isn't just self-centering, but also um, community driven and um, more interdependent on all of our lived experiences. Well, our kudos to you for for that motto. As we were saying before the show, it's it's one of the favorite things I've heard. So <laughs> we appreciate it. Um, Vasu, you gave a compelling TEDx talk in Bozeman a couple of years ago, and we'll put a link to that in our show notes. But you talked about how downhill skiing brought you as a kid from the indoor world of playing with Legos to the great outdoors. What happened? Yeah, I mean, for me, skiing was a, definitely a transformative um, activity that I was able to pick up on. And it's definitely a very privileged activity. It takes a lot of resources, time, money, um, transportation, whatever you name it. It really takes a lot of that. And my parents were very much open to helping me connect in that sense. And my brother was very much influential in that as well. Um, and I grew up in Connecticut and, um, we don't have the biggest ski hills there. They're more just, you know, rolling hills and um, a lot of ice, not the best kind of snow compared to Montana, but we have to make do and um, it definitely makes people into good skiers and riders. Um, we call it the ice coast for a reason and we have a lot of ski racers that come out of there. Um, but yeah, we we went at an early age, early-ish age, not compared to Montanans, but um, around 10 and... There was, um, in my TEDx, I was talking about, you know, serendipitously or coincidentally seeing another person with one leg ski up to me and say, keep crushing. And um, it kind of opened my eye to what possible. And here's a dog. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it opened my eyes to what is possible. Um, and I started looking up online googling paralympics and other one-legged skiers and um, adaptive athletes and just seeing that there was a massive world out there that doesn't really get publicized so got more into it um, started going more and more started getting this sense of freedom that um, a lot of activities that we love to do tend to create and just fell in love with it as uh, as i started connecting more with that world so going from there to, quote, intersectionality to the outdoors, how did that experience shape your life? What, what happened from that moment when you were about 10 years old to uh, the motto that we're so fascinated by? What can we learn from it? Yeah, there was, there was a, definitely a transition in my life where it went from me to we. So I, I went to school for engineering at the University of Vermont, um, and I was very much adamant about getting an engineering job. Um, out of college 
And as I started connecting more in that world, I started realizing how bland and uninteresting that it was for me. Um, And then I started connecting with the adaptive sports world instead and volunteering with Vermont Adaptive, um, primarily at Sugarbush, Vermont, and just completely fell in love. Um, I was on a lesson once and one of our students during an adaptive lesson, I believe he was being tethered by a waist harness. So he was wearing a waist harness and there was um, a tether line to a volunteer. So the student wouldn't go barreling down the hill as fast as possible. So a little bit more speed control, helping turn and all that kind of stuff. And we were just on a really mellow green slope and the student was having the time of his life. And that's when it really clicked for me that, you know, it doesn't really matter how extreme we get with our activities. It's just the feelings that we experience while doing these activities, that sense of freedom that this student was um, experiencing was so monumental um, for that person as well as me. I'm just realizing like how important a sport like skiing can be to feel a sense of self-worth and self-love these activities slowly turned into a more like a connection of feeling a sense of freedom especially as a marginalized identity as a person with a disability as this kid who has a disability as well who doesn't who gets impacted by barriers that are completely out of his control um so that was a sense of liberation in my eyes as well as this student's eyes and uh that created this shift from me to we. um, And I really wanted to focus on um, disability advocacy based around skiing. So I'd really focus my energy on adaptive sports as much as possible. Uh, Moved out to Montana, started working at Eagle Mount. And that was another aha tipping point in my life. So a common theme in your work is to smash through whatever this normal means. So tell us more about the dangers of defining normal. Um, normal for me is a perspective. Um, it really, you know, it's not this able normative, heteronormative, whatever normative that society constantly is trying to put on us. Normal, I I believe is based on our own lived experiences. My normal is using crutches on a daily basis. What in whatever means either ninja sticking in the woods or mountains or, using them to go grocery shopping. Um, I'm able to figure out these normals, ways to go grocery shopping with a backpack is my normal, or you know, um, using a, a stool in the shower to help with that is my normal. So like all these different adaptations to be able to live my life independently is my sense of normal. And I believe everyone has the opportunities or should have the opportunities to find their own normal Um, when trying to live independently, live a um, life based around freedom and autonomy, but also to not cause harm in other people's lives. So it's, that's kind of my sense of normal, um, is just based off lived experiences. We all have such different lived experiences and different traumas that um, affect our livelihood. So um, that affects what our normal would be. So to help elevate the visibility of all Montanans um, and their outdoor experiences and as outdoor enthusiasts, you co-founded Earth Tone Outside. 
Can you tell us more about Earth Tone and what inspired its founding? Yeah, so I've, among seven others, co-founded Earth Tone Outside MT. And the motto for us is to elevate and celebrate people of color in the outdoors. And Earth Tone, I'm not affiliated with them any longer, but um, Earth Tone came to fruition because of some problematic racist behavior that was happening on the internet as well as within our community based around affinity spaces. Um, so there was a necessity to develop this um, safe space for people of color, specifically within the outdoors, because there hasn't been many and hasn't been many that have been elevated at least or been in the limelight or um, been noticed. So we decided that it'd be pretty helpful for our community, our Black Indigenous community of color, to be able to have this kind of space, to be able to connect with our natural world, um, because our communities have been connecting with the natural world for generations, um, just not in the way that, you know, the Western society views the outdoors. So we wanted to create a space where everyone's voices were included, their normals were included, um, their perspectives were included and um, validated and uplifted and elevated to make sure that all these narratives were shared. Vasu, you also mentioned you're active with Eagle Mount. Can you tell us more about Eagle Mount, what it does and how it changes the lives of Montanans? Yeah, and Eagle Mount Bozeman, I was their adaptive sports director until this summer and COVID and all that kind of stuff. So um, Eagle Mount Bozeman, similar to Earth Tone Outside MT, is to elevate people with disabilities in the outdoors. So um, we focus and have many programs around skiing, climbing, hiking, rafting, horseback riding, swimming, horticulture, um, day camps and week-long camps for uh, cancer survivors or folks that do have cancer, um, veterans, ton of different opportunities for folks that are either disabled, sick, ill, um, old. They also have a program called the Young at Heart Program, which is folks um, of an older age that are able to come swimming in the indoor pool that they have. So um, yeah, all these amazing opportunities to be able to connect in a way that is therapeutic or helps find that sense of normal and freedom again um, for folks that might be affected by these um, negative barriers that are getting put on them. And that was incredibly eye-opening and developing empathy for me, um, as well as understanding different narratives, different normals, different understandings of people with disabilities, illnesses, um, age, all these different aspects, as well as learning about how nonprofits work. Recently, you helped organize a rally in Bozeman in support of the Black Lives Matter movement. And even with the pandemic, you broke the record for turnout with over 3,000 people in attendance. What can Montanans do to be a part of the positive change that countless people are demanding? Yeah, I was one of, I would say I was one of the more minor players within this rally. And I would really recommend anyone in the Gallatin Valley to look up Bozeman United for Racial Justice, as well as the Montana Racial Equity Project. They're both doing amazing, amazing work for racial equity in an intersectional manner. Um, whether that be for folks of color, folks of lower socioeconomic status, um, people with different abilities or disabilities, illnesses, sicknesses. My input was specifically around access, given that I have a strong voice around disability justice, 
as well as access and um, developing accessibility um, options, either for organizations, companies, um, online platforms, or events as well. So I kind of tend to shove a crutch in the door and pry it open when it comes to any of these conversations. Um, Time and time again, a lot of racial and social justice movements are incredibly inaccessible. And that's usually my first question to a lot of the leadership in a lot of these spaces is like, is asking them like, hey, what are some of the accessible options that you all are providing for people with disabilities? And time and time again, it comes down to them not knowing um, and that's when I'm like, hey, would you like me to offer some guidance or support when it comes to this? And usually they say yes. And that was kind of my input during this rally. And um, I was able to help, you know, provide an ASL interpreter, provide a more accessible schematic of what the rally would look like, be able to offer different guidances. Um, also, didn't really want to be on stage, but took that opportunity and talked about the access issues that come with being black and brown and indigenous um, and people of color um, when it comes to a lot of these opportunities that we don't have or have been uh, left out of the conversation or left out of the table for. So um, that was a, that was an incredible opportunity. I really wish I was able to pass the torch on to some other person with a disability, a person of color with a disability, but unfortunately given the size of our community, and the time frame of that, it seemed like I might have been the only option at the moment. Well, as an audience member, I would say that you crushed it. So thank you for your work on that. And you've crushed many mountaintops and skied down some of the most daunting slopes. So what is your favorite outdoor adventure to date? Oh, man, that's such a loaded question. Um, Thank you for the affirmation about the speech. Um, Yeah, that was definitely a big moment, I think, in my activist life. And I'm hoping there's more to come as well. But uh, yeah, I I personally don't look at it as crushing the mountains. Um, I look at it as connecting with the mountains. Um, They hold such powerful energy when we're in them and we're walking through them or rolling through them or ninja sticking through them. I always feel grateful. I feel very humbled and very small when it comes to walking in these um, natural landscapes. And uh, these opportunities have been such a huge, huge privilege for me. And I'm so grateful for it. I don't know if, uh, you know, I would be there if I was still living in India or um, my parents didn't let me or connect with nature or go skiing or whatever it may be. You know, these opportunities came up as time came on and I was able to push myself. Speaking of that, Vasu, you've gotten so much done in your life. And what message would you like to leave when it's all said and done? And in other words, what would you like your epitaph to say? Mm. That's a great question. Um, I always try to build self-efficacy within folks, um, whether that be self-love and self-gratitude and I'm just hoping people are able to love themselves as much as they can, as well as build empathy for those around them. Um, We all live such different lives um, when it comes to building relationships and finding our normals. So yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of where I leave people is just coming from a place of love and compassion and empathy. And I am trying and working to live my life in that sense as well. Even if, people have different values and different lived experiences. 
Well, those are words to live by. Vasu Sojitra, professional athlete, skier, climber, adventurer, social justice advocate. It's an honor having you here on MCV Cast. Yeah, it's an honor being uh, being part of it. Thank you so much. The views and statements of our guests do not necessarily reflect those of Montana Conservation Voters, its members, its staff, or its board of directors. And you can find links to both Earth Tone Outside and Eagle Mount in our show notes. Before we go, Jake Brown, a few more updates from this week. Thanks, Murph. Montana Wilderness Association has released a new educational video about the competitive leasing process that the BLM uses. Our public lands and outdoor way of life are at risk. A 100-year-old backdoor practice known as non-competitive leasing has allowed oil and gas companies to get the mineral rights on millions of acres of public land for pennies on the dollar. Oil and gas companies can essentially buy the mineral rights on public lands for next to nothing due to this backdoor rule. Senator Tester announced a bill that would require all leases on public lands to be handled in a fair and transparent manner. This week marks the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment, which gave white women the right to vote. What many don't know is that Montana's first and only woman elected to Congress, Jeanette Rankin, introduced the legislation that eventually became the 19th Constitutional Amendment. We've long known that Montana women built this state, but to date, Jeanette Rankin remains the only woman ever elected to the U.S. Congress from Montana. We hope to make history in 2020, and Kathleen Williams, the second woman elected to Congress from Montana, and hope you join us in the fight. Kathleen Williams is MCV's endorsed candidate in the U.S. House race. But we also must note the road to suffrage for Black, Indigenous, and women of color continues. Between 1920 and 1965, many states used means to discriminate against women of color, such as poll taxes and literacy tests to prevent them from voting. We're keeping Montanans apprised via our social media channels and hope you give us a follow, all at MT Voters. Thanks, Whitney. At the top of the show, we covered the dumpster fire that is Donald Trump's postmaster general, Louis DeJoy, and the president's admitted attempt to undermine voting by disrupting the Postal Service. Of course, this caught the ire of Montana senior U.S. Senator John Tester. We'll leave you today with Senator Tester speaking to MSNBC about the importance of reliable postal service. I'm going to tell you that if these guys have their way, uh, they will destroy the postal service. They'll do it because they don't want people to vote, which is bad enough. But in the process, it's going to hurt rural America in a big, big way and hurt rural states like Montana in a big, big way. And that's why... We've tried to point out to folks uh, all around the state of Montana and the country that the Postal Service is important and that we ought to make sure the Postal Service is around for this election and for a long time after this election. (music) 